You remember the first time that you realized that the story is kind of similar across fairy tales and at least decent movies and novels? You know, the story of the unlikely hero, good versus evil, and a disoriented or disordered or bent world, perhaps first time was with Star Wars, be it the old ones or the middle ones or the new ones. situation looks perilous. It doesn't look like any good can come out of this. And when the hero emerges, be it the early in the story or in the middle, you're like, there's no way that that hero can fix this situation. Because evil is so powerful and big seeming. To me, the most effective uh, Christian author, in my opinion, in telling the story is uh, John Grisham. Some of you didn't know he's a Christian because he doesn't write explicitly Christian work. And yet, every one of his stories, at least the ones I'm aware of, I've read a handful of his books and seen some of the movies that have been adapted from them, is that story. Have you noticed? The the, the world is broken locally, usually, sometimes on on a larger scale. The hero emerges and... He's one lawyer against five to ten. Or one person manipulating a jury, like in Runaway Jury. Which is illegal, don't do that, you know. But And there's no way that they're going to be able to uh, pull off anything resembling hope. Or fixing the story. Someone always dies in the stories that I'm familiar with by John Grisham. Because this is a serious story. Because evil is a serious business. And yet the unlikely hero comes through. Evil's defeated. We see some sense of hope. John Grisham writes that way because not only, I think, because that is the story, but also because of his worldview that it's still possible. Redemption, healing, justice in the case of many of his books. In the New Testament, there are at least 13 references to Jesus of Nazareth being the embodiment of the new exodus. Of being the one who who heals the world for all those who call him Lord and who trust in him. And yet the new exodus begins with another dream for Joseph. We've got to wonder if at this point he's nervous about ever going to sleep. What's going to happen when I go to sleep? What's the angel going to tell me to do? but also some tragedy that we often ignore when we look at the Advent story. I doubt that any of your nativity sets at home have a section devoted to Herod and what he did before, during, and after the visit of the Magi. You remember from last week, the Zoroastrian duelists. You knew I was going to say it this week, at least once. The New Exodus begins with them fleeing. And with tragedy. If you have your Bible, I'm just looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. The first part is language that's pretty familiar to us, though I think we miss some things in it. The second part is uh, something that I think Christians are aware of, but it's not talked about very often, and it's essential, both because it happened and what it teaches us about Emmanuel, about God coming in the flesh to dwell with us. 
Now when they had departed, that's the Zoroastrian duelists, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time when he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine? This is, it's been a, a year or two. Did you notice that in the text? It took the Magi a while to get there. So maybe Joseph's not 18. Maybe he's 20. Mary's a little bit older. It's still disorienting to 2017 years, but she was probably a teenager. And they have a two-year-old who's supposed to save the world and is clearly not capable of doing so yet. And they have to go to Egypt by night. And you and I hear that word by night and it's embedded in our Advent stories and they're like, oh, they rose because the angel told them to. And they went by night. First of all, you ever travel at night? I hate traveling at night. We have figured out that I'm not a drive-through-the-night person, but I can get up early, three or four in the morning and drive and that's, that's fine as long as there's good coffee. I burned myself once making a French press. I was making it extra strong for an early drive. And all the hair is gone from my arm. And Rachel's like, is it still worth it? And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> because traveling by night was difficult. Well, I was taking a car. Mary and Joseph and Jesus didn't have a car. And they're going several hundred miles by night. So Joseph's awake. He's trying to explain the dream to Mary. And they're packing the suitcases. And they're trying to get out because they knew it was dangerous. We hear in verse 14, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And we're so used to the language that we miss how mundane it was and how scary. If you and I are watching this, we would have been nervous for Mary and for Joseph and for Jesus. We would have been nervous because Herod was treacherous before that and then and then later. Would have been nervous because they were in a hurry. That's what by night means. Is this going to work out? The unlikely hero can't even talk yet. Maybe he could talk a little. How is this story going to work out for redemption? The work that you and I have to do if we put our faith in Jesus during Advent, during the time that we celebrate the Incarnation, is to look at the symbols of it and not... Be so used to them that we're used to in, incarnational language. The, <laughs> I think the burden that we have is to not be so used to something that we're very, very, very familiar with because our culture celebrates it, which is wonderful. And yet, it was a scary story. I think maybe what we should do when we get home I'm going to try this and my nine-year-old is going to get very mad at me. I think that we should have the Magi come in and then we should have Mary and Joseph leave. Like, we should, depending on how long your table is, if you have like a nativity like this, 
maybe right after Christmas, Mary and Joseph should get further and further and further away to remind us that right at the beginning, the story was dangerous. And it wasn't just sweetness and mangers and light. Maybe not. Maybe our nativity should stay just like they are. But what's happening is the family is fleeing as they did before. You guys know the story of the Israelites? When they were just becoming the Israelites, there was famine in the land. Joseph, a different Joseph, not Jesus' stepfather, but Joseph, the son of Jacob. You know, the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, that one. He was down in Egypt and saving food, and the family came to them because there was famine. Well, this time, when Mary and Joseph went, there was a community of people that they got to join there, so it's a little bit different. They probably settled in Alexandria, Egypt, if you know your Egyptian geography. Because there were men and women there uh, that were Jewish who knew that Herod was dangerous, and they had already established a community outside of Israel. But this is... Part of how God begins to tell you and I and the people that were listening and reading Matthew's gospel in the first century that Jesus is the embodiment of all that Israel is and is supposed to be. Blessing nations, teaching them about worshiping God and the with God life. And that Jesus will bring about a new and greater exodus. So for Israel, embodied in Jesus, to go to Egypt teaches someone familiar with the Old Testament that this is the new exodus from a worse slavery. The worse slavery is to sin and death. D.A. Carson says it this way, the ultimate Israel is Jesus himself. Jesus said it this way, I am the vine and I am the true vine, which is an imagery for Israel. This is in 1 Corinthians 10. One of the verses that we use in the upstairs communion Service is from 2 Corinthians 5, Hebrews 3, a bunch of other references that I looked up just to make sure, you know, that I present to you things that the Bible actually says. So what's happening is not only are Joseph and Mary leaving because it's dangerous, and an angel told them to, and they obeyed, but also to help us begin to understand that in trusting Jesus with our heart and with our decisions... We are being freed, like the Israelites from the nation of Egypt, except from a worse slavery than physical, from sin and from death. So the family flees as they did before because of the the curse. You know, when we sing far as the curse is found, you know what the curse is? The curse is the effects of sin that all of our world is touched by. It's not just humans, though perhaps an easy case could be made that humans are the most affected. It's the entire creation groaning for healing. Creation that was created good, but when Adam and Eve sinned, was subjected to futility. This is New Testament language for the curse that we're probably most familiar with when we sing about it at Christmas, which is wonderful. The first effect of the curse that the Israelites fled from was famine. Joseph had saved food. Going back to the Old Testament, that Joseph. So his family comes down and they're able to eat, though there they multiply incredibly and become slaves, the nation of Israel. This time, it's a famine of the violence of men and women that has existed since just about the second sin entered the world. 
The curse in humans is that we don't trust God's good heart. The curse in the world overall is things are not the way they're supposed to be, right? You see it around the world. We find out five and ten years later about atrocities that were happening that we didn't even know about. Because there isn't enough time for all of us to watch the news about all of the violence. Politics, families, religion, the human body. All of these things are not as they are supposed to be. That's the curse. And to ignore the importance of the curse is to miss the beauty of the incarnation. It's to miss why Advent is such a joyful and hopeful and peaceful time. Even as we wait. The candles are amazing in their symbolism. Those are the three that that are lit today. Because at the same time that that's what was purchased in the birth, teachings, life, death, and then resurrection of Jesus, we're also waiting. Because aren't all those things still not the way they're supposed to be? And so when Herod kills probably, probably around 20 children, and we ignore that because it's not as pleasant to look at as our trees and plants and lights and candles, we miss the fact that Jesus enters the world as it actually is. Family flees. This is to begin teaching us about Jesus as the new Exodus. Family flees they did before because of the curse, which is what is entered by Emmanuel. You know, if if Christianity is is just an idea, I do not expect it to help you these holidays. You're like, what do I need help for? That's one out of ten of you. Holidays are delightful for you. You're actually like the people in the commercials. That when the holidays come around, you're just like, this is so great. For most of us, it's at least challenging, right? And we watch the commercials and we watch the holiday specials. And sometimes, if we're honest, aren't we a little annoyed annoyed that we don't feel the joy that we're supposed to feel at all the people because they're actually challenging to us? And we don't sit and drink tea with them with big grins on our face and place categories or whatever if Christianity is just an idea if the incarnation is just an if it's just a thought then it's no help to us in that moment if Christianity is just a philosophy then on a really good year this is the time where you're going to reread that philosophy in hopes that you might have some of the peace in your heart of the people in the Hallmark special that seem to really enjoy all the people that you feel challenged by in your life. If Christianity is just a religion, then maybe I'm going to tell you how to pray in that moment when you don't feel the peace in your heart. And maybe it's not because your family's challenging. Maybe it's because you're aware of how violent and broken the world is all around Certainly nearby and certainly all around the world. And that makes you ache. And it makes this a disorienting time where you're supposed to be hopeful and peaceful. And you know, for instance, what's going on in Yemen. And it disgusts you and makes you sad. If Christianity is just a religion and I just tell you how to pray, it's going to help maybe this much. But if Jesus actually enters the story 
bodily. If Emmanuel is God with us, if the word indeed became flesh and dwelt among us, then you and I have real hope. Which doesn't make those relatives less challenging. And it doesn't mean that when you watch the news, you're not going to be upset by that. But it does mean we have a living argument in our hearts and minds and souls for each of the attacks. Because here's the attack, whether it comes through challenging family or the local news or the international news that you see, or the simple fact that you and I are told to have peace that we just don't have. Here's how the lie comes. God's holding out on you. The reason that you don't feel like a Hallmark card is because God's holding out on you. The reason that the news bothers you a lot and you can't get to sleep is because God's holding out on you. The reason that you just can't get along with those family members is because God's holding out on you. And what we do when we hear that voice is we argue with it. We speak back to our soul the truth, which is that God came in the flesh to save men and women from their sins, to begin to set the world to rights by healing the deepest problem, which is the human heart. We cannot actually look at our little nativity set. And I don't even know if you have a nativity set, okay? I have kids. We have them all over the house. We love them. If you don't, I apologize for the number of times I've referenced nativity sets. But if this actually happened, if Jesus actually came in the flesh, then when we look at a nativity set, that's an argument against God holding out on us. And it is a conclusive argument. It is impossible to believe if God came in the flesh that he's holding out on us. It's impossible to believe if God came in the flesh that he's holding out on us. That doesn't mean we don't have legitimate things to be challenged by relationally in the world. That doesn't mean that the world is not still a disordered mess in terms of politics, government, the human body, religion, the earth itself. But we have a living argument that God came in the flesh. And we're still waiting it's one of the other challenging things about Advent is it is a time symbolized by waiting. We're celebrating that Jesus came from the flesh, the indomitable argument against God holding out on us, and we're waiting for him to set all things to rights. But my encouragement is that when you see the symbolism of Christmas, you remember God came in the flesh Which means, without a doubt, he is not holding out on us, though we are waiting for him to heal the rest of the world. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we sing... For those of us that love Christmas music, would you fill us with a, a, 
an imaginative knowledge of the miraculous birth of your son. For those of us that do not love it, would you give us affection for it? That we might, in the words and in the theology, understand that you are not holding out on us. You have sent your son to rescue us, to save us from sin and death through a trusting relationship with you. Lord, even as we wait for you to set all things to rights, we recognize that you have purchased hope and peace and joy for us. Give us an experience of them as we sing, as we relate to challenging seasons and people and times, and as we hope in your return. Amen.